Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was once lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast, and we're coming at it from many different locales tonight um, in this, what, the fourth quarantine edition? I don't know which one, but oh well. Um, but we've got uh, Dave Gladow from town, and we have Alfredo Narvez from Metairie, and I'm in the uh, area of Gentilly. This week, from all the way on the East Coast, is my big brother, and the reason for my Star Wars nerddom, Brian Swoboda. He's from Arlington, Virginia. So everybody, say hello. Hello. Hi. Hey. Like I said yeah. earlier, my wife told me I should wear a mask, so I brought it with me. Well, unfortunately, this is an audio podcast, so the Vader helmet didn't work there, but that's okay. It, it, he put on a Vader helmet that. <laughs> So you have to, I'm 47. Let's see, Brian, I'm going to do the math really quick. You're 51. Going to be 51, right? No, no. Oh, that's the nicest thing I've ever said all day. I'm going to be 53, just okay, like Kirby. I can't. He, didn't, he didn't give me my math skills. Anyway, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was like two years ago, I got him the Vader um, Hasbro helmet, you know, and everything. So it was... You know, that's that's what you get your brother who's, you know, 50. But anyway, um, but uh, yeah, so Brian's going to join us. Uh, we want, we're going to ask him about uh, kind of take on everything that has happened since after Return of the Jedi. So that will fill up two hours, won't it, guys? <laughs> oh. Fingers crossed. But first of all, let's just go around the horn. How are you doing? What are you doing to keep yourself busy? Dave, I've mentioned it before. You were doing some very good parenting today. Yes, my uh, I was um, introducing my son to Donkey Kong, and so uh, I got I got Nate playing Donkey Kong, and this is uh, uh, this is making Aaron just beam because this is his favorite game. So this is this is the way. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean that's other than like playing retro video games uh, and trying to not lose my uh, what little hair I have left. Uh, that's, uh, you're pretty much caught up. <laughs> cool. Fredo, how about you? What's, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Uh, that's a nice face. Is that your neighbor? No, not my neighbor. <laughs> my Dave's neighbor. Uh, no, I've, I've been, I'm still working from home, so I'm still kind of having to get up and be somewhat productive and functioning, you know, uh, managing to not just simply veg out. Uh, taking advantage of a bunch of put a whole bunch of video games from uh, PlayStation because they're having a sale. So, got the Spider-Man downloadable pack. Uh, watch a whole bunch of Disney Plus, and just you know, just trying to fill in the hours in between. Uh, watched uh, Lego Masters yesterday when they had the Star Wars challenge. That was fun. Oh, I still I, uh, I missed that. I need to watch that. Yeah, it's a really good episode. It's a really good episode. They had the droids there, and they had to you know. The, Build their own droids, and then they had to recreate a, a battle scene from the saga. 
so Endor or Hoth or Crate. So, but I also, other than that, I mean, just trying to stay sane some kind of way. Right on. Cool. So, Brian, what are you doing to, uh, besides work, because you're working from home. Normally, you're working downtown Washington, D.C. What are you doing to keep yourself from going nuts? Well, we've been having a family get-together every night to watch something on TV, and we've been trying to mix it up a little bit to keep people from uh, getting into a rut and just generally freaking out. And we've had actually some good successes. Um, I went and found on YouTube an episode of a TV show, you may be too young to remember it, Aaron, uh, by Mel Brooks called When Things Were Rotten. It was his Robin Hood pastiche that came out right after Blazing Saddles. Uh, and so we watched an episode of that, and that actually went over pretty well. You know, it was kind of surprising. I mean, I realized, you know, a couple months ago just how strong a marriage I had when my wife watched Blazing Saddles for the first time and really, really liked it. So, you know, so I got that going for me. And then uh, we also watched last night, we tried to watch the very first episode I've ever seen of Star Trek The Next Generation, and it was really weird. We watched the premiere, uh, the one with Q, and it was like after, you know, 25 minutes, we're not watching this anymore. So we may try again. We may not. You know, that's just the way it is. It's like the same reaction people have to Tiger King. You know, it's like, <laughs> what am I watching? So I don't know. Dave, you're smiling ear to ear. Are you a Next Generation fan? Oh, yeah. I, I watched that all through high school. Um, love that show. Um, but that, that, that first, like, season or two, uh, you can tell that budget was about $5. <laughs> it, it gets better. It gets a lot better. Um, well, in, Picard... in the premiere, you could tell there was a lot of Trekkie fan service because it's like Picard, you know, has encountered Q, you know, the weird alien who dresses in medieval clothes and who's threatening to destroy him. He says, okay, we're going to detach from the, the ship. And we're all looking at each other saying, why is he doing this? What tactical advantage is there to do this? And I have to think the only reason they did it is because Star Trek fans had been waiting for 40 years to see the saucer come off the ship. I'm pretty sure that's accurate. Yeah, I think that's probably why they did that. The saucer comes off? So now I, this uh, this is a little – talk about fan service. This is Aaron's service because um, – but um, so the people listening, this is uh, – Pardon us while we divulge, or while we just uh, self-obsess here for a second. Um, but Dave, your wife, Kate, will love this part of it because Kate's favorite band, if I'm not incorrect, is R.E.M., right? Correct. Yeah. So, Brian, do you want to uh, tell us just I didn't I didn't set you up for this, but you want to tell us how you have interacted with R.E.M. in the past? Well, yes, there was that one magical day where I was a senior in college at the University of Nebraska in 1989. And if you, you know, did put in your time and like, for example, I worked at the Andy Williams Christmas concert, you would get to do something cool. And so what I got to do was to help organize, you know, advance for REM when we came to play at Pershing Auditorium. So my task was to go and go to Lincoln's finest restaurants all three of them, and get like menus that you could bring to the band for stuff that they might want to order after uh, after the show. And so, you know, I went and did that. And then I was wandering around backstage and I went into what I 
was told was Michael Stipe's dressing room and, uh, you know, saw these plants in there and this couch and only realized like about 10 seconds later, there was a guy on the couch and it was Michael Stipe. And he said hello and it was kind of weird, but he was really nice. So <laughs> I went to the show and, you know, I kind of wandered around through the show and it was all right. And then they brought me backstage afterwards uh, to, to ask the band, what do you want to eat for dinner? And so they bring me back to, you know, uh, Mike Mills, Bill Berry and Peter Buck. And they say, hey, do they still have Runza's here? And Runza is this, uh, this fast food that's unique to Nebraska and Kansas. It's this German-Russian sort of, you know, it's, it's like a pierogi kind of, you know, where you got meat, you know, inside this baked dough. And I said, oh, yeah, they got Runza's. They got cheese Runza's. They got Italian Runza's. They said, oh, well, here's a $50 bill. Go buy us a dozen Runza's. So I went through the drive-in at the Runza Hut, and I bought a dozen Runza's for REM. <laughs> and they were very appreciative. They said, thank you. They were hungry. So as I remember, that was on the green tour, right? It was. Yeah, because my the guy a guy I was in uh, college with, he was at that concert, and he said it was the best thing because, you know, on on the green album was the most infamous REM song ever, probably "Stand." My uh, sorry, Michael Stipe gets up to the microphone and says, "This next song sucks. It's called Stand," and then they do "Stand." <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, so anyway, that was that was for Kate. So yeah, my brother got to buy Runza's for REM. So yeah, that's... I, I will definitely pass that story along. Well, she doesn't listen to the podcast most of the time. <laughs> so what I'm finding out is like um, she's representative of our audience in that she's not listening as much now that the whole. Um, quarantine thing is going on yeah, um, so it's like that we've we've got a f we've got fewer listeners right now in general um I, and i think that's a trend related to what we're dealing with um so i think yeah so i think she's one of the one of the listeners that has uh, peeled off for us unfortunately which if i'm honest it kind of surprises me because i've been listening to podcasts non-stop this time it's uh because you know you get tired of watching the news you don't want to be just vegging on the tv if i'm cleaning if i'm cooking if i'm doing something i'll just listen to podcasts whether it's uh, a saints one or a sports one or a true crime one or whatever just it gives you the opportunity for listening to you know kind of the something that'll be listened to in a normal uh run of life but yeah Okay, because we're the Houdat Jedi podcast, so that part, the first part of it is a Saints reference. I have to ask you guys, are we serious? I'm sorry, Brian, I know you're not a Saints fan. We won't hold it against you. But are we, no, seriously, are we seriously shopping around Alvin Kamara? Or is this just people speculating? I've seen like blog after blog. It's like, here's five trade scenarios for Alvin Kamara. I'm like, we would be – Brian, this would be like, um, you know, I don't know, you know, Nebraska getting rid of Mike Rozier, you know, in you know, the eighties, like, Oh yeah, let's just send him to Oklahoma. Are we seriously shopping around Alvin Kamara? He'll be difficult to resign. And so that's where the speculation comes in. And it's really up to everybody to kind of take with that, all that with a grain of salt and how much is real and how much isn't. Um, I think most of it's made up, um, but it's, Again, it's like he's going to be a hard guy to resign because they just paid Thomas all that money. 
Yeah, so. but I think uh, I think I think the I think coach let the cat out of the bag, and he's trying to double back. But you know, it's not. I mean, this is Drew's last year, mm-hmm. and so they're gonna you know, so they're gonna have money to play with probably after that. But anyway, um, no, I, I was, no, I was gonna say right quick. Uh, it's his last year of his contract. We are a couple of weeks away from the draft, so you figure right now, so now everybody's running crazy with a million and one rumors. Just just today, uh, former Saints wide receiver Brandon Cooks got traded for the third time to Houston. Yeah. So right now is the time that if you're going to make roster moves for guys who you don't believe you're going to keep, you trade them for draft picks. Uh, so in, in some kind of way, it kind of seems to make sense, but realistically this is a team that's built to win right now so you're not going to give them away unless you figure i'm going to get something similar like you know but i don't even think the saints would trade you know because all that means is you got to go draft a running back you know? yeah yeah so uh um yeah and by the way if any of you need nebraska football trivia my brother is your man so um he is <laughs> like the the google of uh nebraska football but all right, so um, every week we do trivia. And so here we go. This is trivia from episodes one through six. So um, you have to have your pre- prequel knowledge on a little bit. Um, we don't know what the questions are. I just randomly took them out of the Trivial Pursuit DVD box. So this is not a setup. Um, so uh, let's see here. Fredo, I'll start with you, and then you get to tag the next person. All right, so whose last words to Anakin Skywalker are stay in that cockpit? <laughs> okay, I'm going to give everybody a moment to think about it because I'm sure I got the answer already. Uh, it's Qui-Gon Jinn. It is Qui-Gon Jinn. There you go. We need like a ding, 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 something or other. <laughs> so, um, all right, so all right, Fredo, who's next? Well, well, let's let's make it Brian, so because he's the guest. Right. All right, to my oh. brother. All right, um, who draws the one remaining Imperial Scout at the Endor bunkers back entrance into an ambush? C three PO. It's actually Han Solo. Ah. Killer. Sorry, it, it, it's it's all right. We've all we've all gotten ones wrong See, before. I'm a big fraud. No, you're not a big fraud. We've all we've all gotten ones wrong before as, as well. And that's that was a good guess because three PO was like, "Hey, we're up here," you know. And but uh, yeah, it was Han that threw him out. So, um, all right, Dave, who is Darth Vader talking to on the first Death Star when he observed he is here? Well, you spoke, but you're muted, so that makes for really good uh, podcasting. So, Grandma Tarkin, sorry, but I re- I read your lips, so you were correct. I saw that. Yes, it is Grandma Tarkin, which for probably the first seven years of my life, I pro- or Star Wars life, I thought was Grandma Tarkin, but um, that's all right. <laughs> uh, all right, so I'll just pick one randomly off of one of these cards, and it is uh, whose last line aboard the Trade Federation battleship is. Nothing can get through our shield. Oh man. Oh boy. Okay. So okay, it's it's not going to be um, Newt Gunray. It's the other one. I think it's Lot Dodd. 
Lot Dodd. By the way, do you know? How oh Lot no, Dodd it's, it's, I'm sorry. It's it's Doltre Dauphines. It was the other one. But go ahead. Yes, I know how it how Lot Dodd got his name. But you go ahead and tell us. No, you tell us. You know how did? How no, did you're, his you're, name? The, you're the you're the guest. You tell it. Well, you know, George Lucas had a fictional universe with a Senate, and he didn't much like one of the Senates that it was modeled on. And the two leaders of the Senate, when episode one came out, were Trent Lott and actually Chris Dodd was not a leader of the Senate, but he was a senior senator. And I assume that's how he got it. Lott Dodd. That's exactly how he got it. Yes. Yep. So, well, that's trivia. So, yeah, I, I got mine wrong. Brian, Swobodas are like, you know, big donuts today. So. Uh, uh, but we do have a, a little bit of news. Uh, I did see, I don't know, if, uh, you know, we, we reported, um, it seems like the uh, Rosario Dawson, Ahsoka Tano thing, you know, is going to, it seems, seems like, even though it has it's still not been confirmed by Lucasfilm, um, it seems like it's getting reported by more and more people that it's a done deal, that she's going to be in. And so, but the big question is now, and it's for multiple episodes. Now, whether that means for multiple episodes of The Mandalorian, or multi, or just is she going to get into, you know, her own series, or is it going to be just does Ahsoka keep popping around? So, the question I ask you guys, and Brian, I don't know how much you know about Ahsoka Tano. Have you seen much of the Clone Wars or Rebels or anything? No, I've seen a couple episodes of the Clone Wars, but I'm not as current as you guys are. All right. Well, she was she was Anakin Skywalker's uh, Padawan in the Clone Wars. So let me ask you guys right. this, Dave and Fredo. Then two questions. A. This is what I was thinking of before we went on. Is A. Are we going to get too much Ahsoka with Clone Wars, Rebels, Mandalorian, and whatever else she's going to be in? And second question is, is are they setting up Ahsoka to be this generation's Luke Skywalker? Silence. No, no, we're just thinking about it. No, I don't think I don't think there's be too much because we're expecting that. I mean, right now she's seeing Clone Wars. That'll be done before the end of summer. So there'll be a break between that and Mandalorian. We're not expecting it to be uh uh, on every episode of the Mandalorian, you're expected to pop up in a couple of episodes. Uh, so she'll pop up here and there until she has her own show. It's, I guess, one thing. And, and in a way, that might be a good way to build up her character so that people get comfortable who don't know her from Clone Wars or Rebels. True. True. Dave, what do you think? Well, she's still strictly in television. Um, which is still kind of not at the same level of the movies, at least amongst the fandom. So, you know, this generation's Luke Skywalker, that we're way too, too early to see that, but just because she's not going to be in any movies to our knowledge. But my point to that was, is that, is that, you know, we grew up with Luke Skywalker was, you know, kind of the, the bright center of, you know, the star Wars universe, right. Is, you know, for the younger generation, you know, all those kids who grew up with the Clone Wars, is Ahsoka that focal point now? Anyway. Well, to a to a lesser degree, I mean, like she was one of part of an ensemble, um, and was never presented as the hero of 
Clone Wars or Rebels. Um, so she was, she's always been kind of a supporting character, a, a fan favorite, um, but never like the star of the show, so to speak. So um, I, I don't, I think it's, you know, it's probably early to say that, but, <laughs> but um, and I saw at least one report that suggested that she's contracted for multiple series as well as multiple episodes. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that she's locked into doing multiple series, um, but just that they have the freedom to have her cameo and or star in multiple series at this point. Sure. So to me, that indicates that they are planning to expand her role. Um, and I, and I think that's a, that's definitely a, um, a good bet at this point. Well, and Fredo, I, you mentioned it last week. I think the, I think the one that a lot of people probably don't see the obvious connection, unless you have, unless you know Ahsoka's backstory, is that she was the original, or she was Fulcrum, but one of the original Fulcrums was um, Cassian, mm -hmm. right? Cassian Andor from Rogue, Rogue One. One. So there's, or you know, maybe we see the handing off of the torch or something like that. It would um, be interesting to. To find out, but um, and Brian, this I'm going to bring this all back home here in a little bit from conversations we've had um, and conversations we've had on the podcast. So I, we'll come back to this here in a little bit. But Fredo, you mentioned uh, you sent us something before we went live. Uh, somebody, in, somebody of importance, said something interesting on a podcast. So okay, let me see if I find it. Okay, and this was from the recent uh, Light the Fuse podcast from Cinema Blend. Uh, they were interviewing, um, let me see if I find Mary Jo Markey, who's the longtime editor for J.J. Abrams. And, of course, the discussion turned to Mrs. Skywalker and The Last Jedi. So they started discussing about if uh, Last Jedi was retconning Episode 7, Force Awakens. So her response was, quoting here from an article over on IndieWire, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's very strange to have the second film so consciously undo the storytelling of the first one. I'm sorry, that's what it felt like. I don't even feel that's true about the third film. It took where the second film ended and just tried to tell a story. I didn't feel like it was consciously trying to undo. It just didn't feel that way to me, end quote. So I think what's interesting is she's saying that uh, she felt, and these are her words, not J.J. Abrams' words, not anybody else was involved with uh, either without Rise of Skywalker's words, she felt that Ryan Johnson's Last Jedi wasn't doing a lot or retconning a lot of what J.J. Abrams had set up in Force Awakens. And then, of course, we've gotten to the idea of, because the charge has been made that Rise of Skywalker wasn't doing a lot of what Last Jedi did, to which she said, no, no, that wasn't a plan. Our plan is just a story. This, the, art, this article got me fired up. Can I add like a quote and then my reaction sure. to this? Okay, so Dave's from, fired up. From, Get a beer from, and sit from, back. From, right, from the same article, uh, it was hard, I think, for JJ and the co-writer to decide what to do after with it. It's like if someone wrote the middle of your novel, now how do you get the end of the novel? Which pisses me off to no end because he was never going to film the, the final chapter. He was never slated to do that. Um, and so 
for them to complain after the fact about the fact that, well, we had this ending in, in mind. Um, and then, I mean, that's just, whether you whether they had an ending in mind or not, it didn't matter because there was ne- they were never planning to have him come back. So so th- well, I'm we've actually we've heard that story. Go ahead, Brian. We've heard that story before, though, right? Isn't that George Lucas and Irvin Kirshner after The Empire Strikes Back? I mean, he hires Kirshner to direct the movie. I mean. By all accounts, I mean, people to this day think Kirshner did a great job, but Lucas, for whatever reason, was chomping at the bit, dissatisfied with him, you know, canned him, and then basically, you know, took over Jedi. You know, my my point is, and actually, Dave, you're going to be surprised by this, um, and because and I've, I've said it over a gazillion times that, you know, that The Last Jedi painted themselves into a corner. I've likened it to when I would right marching band drill and it's like this is a really cool move that i'm having the kids do and then it's like oh crap where do i go from here you know and if it's the end of the song then it's like hey great that's whatever we'll just end right here but you know he wrote a great story but the person who is not so there is continuity flaws with this sequel trilogy that is absolutely you can't you can't argue against that there's continuity flaws with this sequel trilogy but the people who are responsible for it and the people who should be blamed for it is Lucasfilm. It is, it is everybody who writes the checks and who is in charge of the story group and everything like that, that if you're going to do something like this, that if you're going to have, we got three movies and we're going to have three different directors, that was always the plan, like you said. It was going, we're going to start with JJ and we're going to go, we like Ryan Johnson, then it was going to be somebody else. Then they should have had a referee in the room to say, all right, boys and girls, gonna write your stories, but we got to make them work. So yeah, the, this person's writing the middle of your novel, but you got to communicate as to where you envision that going. You know, if you're gonna write chapter two, you have to have a view of what you think chapter three is going to be. If you're writing chapter one, you have to have a view of what chapters two and three are going to be. So. Right. So the people who are trying to blame Ryan Johnson tick me off. I, I think last I, I actually had no problem with the things that he wanted to do, you know, and taking, you know, Star Wars in different directions. You know, I have my qualms with all the movies. But, you know, it's you're right. This is Monday morning quarterbacking. And it's actually it actually seems a little I, I mean, Brian, you're involved in politics. This seems like, you know, a senator who like, hey, I really want this opinion out there. Let's find a low level staffer to go tweet something out so we get my opinion out and I don't get called on it. Well, Aaron, I think you raise a good question, which is who's really running the franchise? You know, so I was reading a couple of weeks ago, Peter Garonik's book about Elvis, Careless Love. And it talks about the 1968 comeback special, you know, where Colonel Tom Parker wants Elvis to sing like 12 Christmas songs in a tuxedo. But instead, they hire Steve Binder to have him do like Elvis in a tight leather suit, you know, singing rock and roll. And it's this struggle all the way through. And Binder ultimately wins. But you, one thing comes clear from the book, which is that. Nothing was going to happen on a TV show with Elvis unless Colonel Parker signed off on it. He was basically like running the thing and he was intimidating everyone else. And so it makes you wonder, is a Star Wars franchise really a, oh, let's let every let's let a thousand flowers bloom. Let's do whatever you want to do sort of thing. Or is there someone who's got their hand on the tiller? 
Well, it's what my point earlier of, you know, in the, in the prequel trilogy and in the original trilogy, whether George Lucas was writing the screenplay or directing or not, he was developing the story. You know, so you had one person with this story in mind. And so anyway, but I, Dave, yeah, I'm right with you that this is, I, I think this is a, this is a gut sucker punch to Ryan Johnson here. And especially when you have, you know, this editor who, I mean, good point. Again, it's like, I think to the people to blame are not the director because somebody wrote his check to write and direct that movie. So anyway. And I will also dovetail off of one thing um, that you said where it felt like um, they'd been painted into a corner based on what Ryan Johnson had done. I feel the same way in retrospect. Like if we're playing Monday morning quarterback, I feel the same way about Ryan Johnson. I felt like he had been painted into a corner um, because of the way that uh, Force Awakens unfolded. Um, you've got this, you know, all these mystery boxes that you have to do something with. You have to do something with the Ray Luke confrontation. You have to figure out a reason for Luke to not be involved in the conflict. You have to do this and that. And it's like, at the time you watch the movie the first time, you're like, my goodness, I didn't expect half of the stuff in this movie. But you, the more the more thought you give it, it's like, goodness, could he have done anything else? I mean, like the 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 places he landed were the most logical. Again, like the even the stuff with Ray and what what would be her confrontation in the cave. It's like you're a nobody, and that would be the worst news she could ever get. And I, I loved it. And again, some of the stuff in that movie took time to adjust to. But um, you know, I again. I, I agree with you a thousand percent when it comes down to the idea of they should have been given more central well, direction, all of them. What you know, and what's missing, obviously, and I still I want to see this Comic Con panel. I want to see J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson on the same stage, and you know, I want you know, I want the press corps asking them questions. But you know, but. There, what's missing is collaboration because there was, you know, for years, I, you know, I keep talking about marching band drill. I wrote all those, that's the pictures that a marching band creates on the field, you know, when they're playing the music. And it's not just about making neat pictures. There's decisions you have to make. It's like, okay, the trumpets have the melody, so I need to make sure they're at the front of the field so that that melody gets to the audience. You can't put them backfield because it's going to be, there's going to be a and it's going to be muted and blah 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 you know and then you also have to think what's coming up in the next move so the trumpets may have the melody for measures one through 16 but starting in measure 17 the trombones have it so you have to be setting the trombones up for you know putting them in the front of the picture so there was my what my last year as a band director uh assistant band director and i we we shared the drill writing responsibilities i wrote the first song he wrote the second song I wrote the third one. But what we had there was we both had the music and we both had these things in place where it's like, as long as you are setting up the person who has, you know, the section that has the melody, you know, you can do whatever you want and you have to know, okay, in the third song, this group has the melody to start off with. 
So I got to make sure I set them up. There was that collaboration. We had those tools in place. It's not obvious that these tools were in place for these three movies. Sorry, uh, I just went on a long no, thing, no. Fredo. No, that's fine. And then actually, that, that makes a really good point. And that goes to what they were saying. It, you know, no, uh, in some ways, she's taking it personally on behalf of JJ because they're the ones getting all the heat for the way that Rice Skywalker turned out in the eyes of some. But that wasn't the original plan. The original plan was for JJ to do what he does best, the setup, the build-up, all the mystery boxes, hand it off to Ryan Johnson to give you an emotional center, and then give it to uh, Colin Trevorrow to give you the big bombastic finish, which is really what he does best. It didn't happen for whatever reasons happened between Lucasfilm and Trevorrow, and they had to scramble and get Abrams back in. Now that Normally, if you've ever seen any J.J. Abrams production, you know that the thing that he has issues with is the endings. You know, he's good at the setups, he's bad at the endings. So in some ways, they got themselves up in a situation which probably, I mean, somebody tells you, do you want to direct a Star Wars movie? You're always going to say yes, because you only get so many of those. You don't you know, those don't come along but once or twice in your lifetime, so you do it. But at the same time, it put them in a bind because now they had to reconcile what they had done with what Ryan Johnson had done without having talked to one another beyond the bare basics. And it comes through in the movie. I mean, you can totally tell that this is, he's trying to now fit what Ryan Johnson did and what he had set up in a way that can come up to a satisfying conclusion. And, you know, they, they clearly did not talk to one another. So anyway, that's us. We'll, we'll come back to the rise of Skywalker because Brian's going to be part of what we're pinning you down on. And by the way, another part of the podcast tonight is we're going to have our first, uh, um, our first, not really episode, but our first uh, installment of crud that Aaron should have been seeing and hasn't. So we're going to go over. I've watched a couple movies that apparently my life has been deprived of enrichment because I haven't. So, <laughs> uh, and we're going to let you guys quiz me and everything like that. But I want to, I want to go to my big brother here because he, he is the reason um, for, he, he's the reason for a lot of things that I am. Uh, uh, but the big thing is is Star Wars. So, Brian, you want to kind of talk about your Star Wars? We taught everybody that's been on our podcast before. We just what's your what's your Star Wars story? Why why did it speak to you? You know, go back to seventy seven when we were kids. You know, and going through your adult life. Why is it stuck with you? Go ahead, just let you ramble. Well, I think I. Well, you said 1977, and I think that's the important thing, which is Generation X has like only one thing going for it, which was I was a 10-year-old boy when Star Wars came into the theaters for the first time and everybody saw it fresh. No one knew anything about it. No one had any expectations about it. No one knew who any of the characters were. It was just a movie you were going to go see. So when 10-year-old Brian went to see Star Wars in West Lafayette, Indiana in June of 1977, it was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. I ran home with my friend John Cole. We went to his basement. We got a refrigerator box, you know, that his parents had left aside because they bought a new fridge. And we turned it into an X-Wing fighter and we played battles in his basement. It was just such a cool 
movie. And it was because it was fresh and it was unexpected and it all hung together and it all made sense. And there was no expectation you had of it going in either. I mean, that's one of the problems, I think, with all of the subsequent movies, because every one of them has had to live, you know, under or has had to carry that anchor, which is how do you how do you approach and enjoy the movie with the baggage of the expectations that you bring to it. And that for me has been one of the problems with all of the Star Wars movies, you know, ever since, which is just, I actually don't think it's possible to make a movie that will make me feel as excited and surprised as I was as a 10 year old boy in 1977. And it's not the fault, you know, of George Lucas, Ryan Johnson, or, you know, any, or JJ Abrams or anybody else. It's just, I'm not 10 years old anymore. And, you know, I'll never be that person seeing that movie in that way, you know, ever again. And so that's kind of what, you know, said it for me. And when have I had experiences like that since, you know, a couple years later when 12-year-old Brian saw Superman the movie at the Cooper Theater in Lincoln, Nebraska? Um, you know, to be honest, Darren, I had it a little bit with Iron Man, where you had a story that was just I mean, it was a familiar story, but it was told in a fresh way. I had no expectations of what the movie was going to be like. It was just a pleasant surprise, and it was and it was tight. That was the other thing about Star Wars too, which is that it was tight. It didn't. There was not a moment where it seemed it was too long or too boring. It was almost, I think, like two hours on the nose, maybe slightly over. But there wasn't like a minute of fat in the entire movie. And that sort of economy telling a story, you know, that was tight and made sense was part of what made the movie so appealing. You know, a couple of things about Star Wars I remember seeing at first. You know, one of the things I've I've noticed about the movie since is, you know, maybe it's because I'm getting old and, you know, uh, mentally decrepit. I, I have trouble remembering the names of the characters in the movies I go to see now. If you asked me, for example, in The Rise of Skywalker to name 15 of the characters, you know, I'd be lucky if I could probably rattle off five or six. And part of it, I think, is the way in which Star Wars was written. Because if you look at the screenplay and you look at the movie, I mean, it's written away basically to indoctrinate you. You know, Aunt Beru out there in the dark calling, Luke, Luke, I'm coming, Aunt Beru. I mean, they're everybody saying everybody else's names like nine times for no apparent reason. And I never noticed that until like, uh, you know, actually just some months ago, you know, but that's storytelling, right? It's not particularly subtle storytelling, but it was like you felt like you knew who each of these characters, you know, were and they had sort of a lasting impact on you. You know, one last thing about Star Wars 2 that I think maybe is different, you know, than you know, some of the other movies that's followed it is, again, that sort of economy of storytelling. I mean, you had, for example, in the climactic battle scene on the Death Star, you had just the one thing. It was the X-Wing fighters going into the trench to try to blow up the Death Star. It was just one thing, and that was all that it was about. And then you saw that metastasize over the rest of the movie. So in Empire Strikes Back, it was Luke uh, dueling Darth Vader while Leia and Han are trying to escape or while Leia and Chewie and Lando are trying to escape off a of Bespin. You know, in Return of the Jedi, it's Luke and Vader, you know, dueling while they're trying to shut down, uh, you know, the uh, the shield, um, you know, on uh, Endor. You know, and then you see the same thing. It's like you have to have three things going on simultaneously. And again, I'm kind of old, but it's like overload. You lose the economy of the story. 
But that's a rambling answer to a simple question. But I'll never see. I'm just a different person than I was before, and I'll never see a movie again that was like seeing Star Wars when I was ten. I'm really curious. Like, uh, what was your reaction to Empire Strikes Back that you recall? Because that those are um, the two movies that everybody holds up on the pedestal to this day. Um, I liked Empire Strikes Back, but in a way, it was unsatisfying. It was a purposefully dark movie. I mean, from the moment when they're on Hoth, for example, there's sort of, I mean, literally a coldness and a distance from what's going on. And sort of a, um, you know, it begins with conflict among the characters, among Luke, Leia, and Han, that's pretty serious. And then, of course, the ending was unsatisfying. You left at a point where you you were unsatisfied by what had happened and didn't really know what was going to happen next. Not in a way when you were like, like you were angry about it when you left the theater. I wasn't. I thought it was a good movie, but you know it was def definitely different in kind than Star Wars. And for a twelve year old, you know, or a thirteen year old, I mean, that wasn't uh, it wasn't completely satisfying. There's a part of me that bridles a little bit at the idea that it, The Empire Strikes Back is like Citizen Kane, you know, and Star Wars is like, you know, Steamboat Willie. I, I, I kind of don't buy into that. Were you, were you uh, after Empire, were you like Homer Simpson leaving the theater going, I can't believe that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's <laughs> father? <laughs> No, but that same summer I saw Rocky II and we were waiting in line outside the theater and some guy turns behind us and says, you know, he loses, don't you? And I was like, dude, why are you doing this? He says, no, no, it's okay, he wins. It's like, dude, you just made it worse. <laughs> right. That's awesome. So That should be a crime. So however, okay, so you said you're just, you know, you talked about Empire Strikes Back. I, I, I Here's another trivia question. I bet I can guess. I'm a, I'll let you state it, but what is your favorite Star Wars action figure that you ever got? Uh, oh, boy. Um, you know, I think my, well, I mean, first off, you remember how it rolled in our family, right? I got Darth Vader. Uh, I think Wendy got Han Solo. and you. No, I got Han. Right? No, I got Han. Wendy got Luke. That was, uh, and no, I got, I got Han and Wendy got Luke. And by the way, do you, do you remember where we got those? We got those in Goodland, Kansas. At the Alco in Goodland, Kansas. See, guys, I remember this stuff. See, he's he's the eidetic memory here. But um, no, I, I'm going to guess. I think the one you're really pumped about is your Yoda action figure. Oh yes, thank you, thank you for the mental prompt. The I, I have the Yoda with like the snake and the stick, and it's like a really really cool toy with like the little felt cloak. It was an awesome toy. So anyway, um, but so. I guess so. We all we all get older. Well, okay, let, let's not get let's not get philosophical here. Let's not get philosophical. Uh, let's now let's go after Jedi because um, I will I will tell I've told this story before on the podcast and I'll just say it out loud now. My favorite thing was when you called me after seeing Solo, and you said, "How is Darth Maul alive?" He was cut in half, and you like embodied everything that I've argued that I that I think is quote unquote wrong. It's it's a it's a fault in the system here. Is that it seems like you have to do the summer reading in order to really appreciate some of these new movies. So you were the embodiment of that because all of a sudden you're like, 
how is Darth Maul alive? Because it's like he was cut in half the last time I saw him, and then all of a sudden here he is in Solo. So I guess we'll start. Uh, that's the story I want to tell. But talk to me about you know starting with Rogue One and going through the sequel trilogy. Just what do you thought of? You've kind of touched on it a little bit already, but um, the what are your likes, dislikes, things like that? Questions of this new stuff. Well, I mean, first off, I liked Rogue One, I think, better than the other post-Jedi movies uh, because there was a freshness to it. There was an unpredictability to it. I mean, none of the characters really had any sort of relationship to anything I had seen or thought. No, I'm going to stop you there for there a second. Uh, pause, 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 pause. Was there really a freshness to it? Well, yeah. I mean, like, the way they treated the Force in Rogue One was completely different than how they treated the force in the prequel trilogies, you know, for example. I mean, there was a real mystery to it, you know, like that the blind guy from the Church of the Jedi, you know, who's saying, I am one with the force and the force is with and the force is with me. I mean, that that was that was interesting. I mean, that was maybe the most interesting character I'd seen in a Star Wars movie since Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> wow. Uh but no, I guess my I was. I mean, big Java. Yeah. You know, like let's let's go and have another big gulp Java. I was I was just being, but, I was being a little uh, bit of a butthead you know, because Rogue One was you know Rogue One had Death Star and Darth Vader and Grand Moff Tarkin and people that looked like the things that we grew up on. But anyway, I I love the movie as well. But keep going, keep going, Dave. You're going to say something. there were so many yeah there were so many original characters. I kind of understand what Brian's saying there because you don't know what's going to happen to any of them. Whereas if you watch like a Solo prequel, you know Solo and Chewie are making it out of that thing alive. And I think that's kind of what he was getting at. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and also there was a mystery to the characters. One of the things about Rogue One, you know, I didn't like, you know, was the protagonist's history with her father, for example. I mean, it's one of the things about the Star Wars movies, you know, sort of the outgrowth of Darth Vader being Luke's father, you know, that's happened, which is you're wondering like about who, who everybody's family tree is. And when you saw Star Wars, nobody had anything to do with anybody except that Ben Kenobi had once trained Darth Vader and had known Luke's father. I mean, none of these people had anything to do with anybody. And you kind of did, you didn't know and you kind of didn't care because they were interesting on their own terms, you know? And it's sort of like letting them have a bit of mystery um, is, um, it, it gives some air to the story that makes it in a funny way, you know, more accessible. I mean, like you were talking earlier about Ray, you know, and the and the corner she got that she got written into in the Last Jedi. I mean, I actually thought very strongly that Ray should have turned out, you know, to be nothing. If I'd plotted like the uh, the the last trilogy, for example, it basically would have been like a. Uh, you know, like a snark take, you know, on the prequel trilogy, which is when you went through um, the prequels and you introduced the, the concept of midichlorians and people having a high midichlorian count, you did a couple things. The first was you demystified the force. You turned it into something that was scientific. And the second thing was, you know, you created the possibility for sort of a master race, right? I mean, you have the Skywalkers who've got midichlorian counts that go off the charts, and then you got all the rest of the schlubs in the world who are never going to amount to anything. So, you know, you put one of them in charge, you know, guess what's going to happen? Well, bad things are going to happen. And so that's the way I would have plotted, you know, the... Uh, 
Modology, which is, you know, good news and bad news. The good news is Ren Solo's, you know, the, you know, daughter, the son of Leia and has one of the highest midichlorian counts in the world. The bad news is he's a bad guy, you know, so he becomes like little Hitler. You know, he gets taken up on the idea that I'm going to run the universe with my high midichlorian count and I'm going to round up everybody else and put them in the camps. And you could have taken the First Order, who were sort of like crypto-Nazis, and they could have worked for him and been basically real Nazis, because that would have been, you know, the same idea. And then, you know, comes Ray. Uh, but what would have been really interesting is if Ray had had these Force powers and no one knew how. You know, she was just special, and she didn't know how. She didn't have a special father. She didn't have a special mother. She just came out of nowhere. And so you could have made, you know, the trilogy sort of about the rebellion against, you know, these crypto Nazis and, you know, the fact that these people, you know, were just ordinary. They weren't special. Uh, you know, they just happened, you know, to come from different places and 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 take it out. You could have restored mystery and democracy to the force. That's how I would have written it. Well, there you go. Jeez, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, but Aaron, he actually, he made O'Brien makes a good, rather good point regarding uh, scripting and you know the ideas of what Star Wars tries to get at. I mean, a lot a lot of this is playing off old myths and old uh, tropes. You know, everything from the damsel in distress who is the the rogue with the heart of gold who is on Solo, the up and coming knight who you know comes out of nowhere. So a lot of this is already baked into it. So. What you don't want to do, and sometimes it's difficult, is you don't want to become kind of a treatise on itself, but you also have to find new ways to kind of tell the story. And sometimes the hardest part to do is to acknowledge that that you're almost kind of repeating yourself, which, I mean, don't get me wrong, like something that Force Awakens worked so well because it did repeat a lot of the beats that we're familiar with, which is why I ended up liking Last Jedi so much because it didn't. It took it in new ways, and that's kind of what was we were hoping that this trilogy would kind of go off on. But no, it is what it is at this point. So, Brian, what did you what did you think of? I mean, like I said, I told that story about Maul, but what did you think about Solo? Um, Solo. Um, I liked Solo um, more, I think, than most people did, and I liked it especially well until like the very end. You know, when I was like Darth Vader at the end of Episode Three. No. I mean, it hung together, you know, fairly well. Uh, I liked, you know, Solo. I thought he was an appealing character. And I liked the plot. And I liked, you know, the way... And I liked the sort of, you know, way it turned inside out, you know, at the end of the movie. But then I thought, you know, the drop-in, you know, of Darth Maul was just a... It was a curveball too far. That was my view. Well, again, it was, you know, one of those things, I've, I've made the argument that it's like you had to do the summer reading. If you hadn't seen Clone Wars, if you've seen Clone Wars, which I had, because I, and I mentioned it many times on this podcast, I remember watching, I was binge watching the Clone Wars on Netflix a couple of years ago and got to the episode. And I remember Brittany woke up and she came out and said, oh, so how the, how's the Clone Wars? I said, fine, but Darth Maul is a spider now. And she's like, what? I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, there was a lot of people, but I mean, again, we we've, we've talked about all this stuff at ad nauseum. That I don't think it um, it's well. It's kind of like well. So let's get to the Mandalorian. You know, the end of the Mandalorian when uh, first season. Spoiler alert: when um, 
uh, Moff Gideon has the dark saber, it doesn't ruin the the seven or eight episodes that led up to that because you didn't do the summer reading, right? I think sometimes you can have those deep cuts that people are like, you know, get kind of nerded out over, but the the story is unaffected. But I think with Solo, that was a a deep cut that was that it just ended up being confusing. Anyway, that's that's my take. Yeah, particularly as it comes out of the blue for, and this is one of the difficulties, like you're saying, with that not doing the summer reading. Whenever you're crafting, say something like a TV show, you can kind of figure that the people watching the TV show will have some idea of the movies. You can't do the reverse. You can't craft the the movies thinking people have seen the TV shows. You have to let them be separate, and then you know if you're going to introduce information, it has to be something that's not going to be that much shocking to them. So I guess that was the problem is they they didn't realize that until that point. So Brian, what'd you what'd you think of the Mandalorian then? Oh, I I lo- I thought the Mandalorian was the best Star Wars content I've seen since 1983. I I loved it, and part of it was because of that sense of mystery. I mean, it had air to it. You didn't know the background of all the people. You didn't know, you know, full. You didn't know the whole story of the universe in which he was in, and that made it mysterious and interesting and inviting. And I like that. And the other thing too, I liked about the Mandalorian. It goes, you know, to uh, it. It goes to what you know. Were saying earlier. I mean, it's like I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, last year. You know, and you know, and uh, the Mandalorian reminded me. You know of. Um, you know, it reminded me of Brad Pitt as Cl- Cliff Booth. I mean, you know, this, you know, just sort of bad, you know, who goes doing cowboy stuff, only he's wearing armor and, you know, interacting with aliens. But it's very much like an old Western, and that gave the story its sort of simplicity and resonance. Was it, uh, did you think it was too fan servicey, just enough fan servicey, or not enough fan servicey? I think Alfredo was right. It was, you know, sort of, um, it was fan servicey, but in a way that wasn't distracting. It did that sort of stuff, you know, and I would compare it to like, I'm watching Better Call Saul now, you know, the Breaking Bad spinoff. And there's a lot of fan service in Better Call Saul. They drop Easter eggs and things that have, you know, reminders of Breaking Bad, but they do it, you know, in a very subtle way where you got to look for it. You got to know about it. I mean, they call them Easter eggs for a reason, because you got to go in your backyard and you got to hunt for them, you know. But like at the end of Solo, for example, it's like somebody's taking an egg and crashing it in your face. (laughs) Obviously, Brian has some strong feelings about Solo. Um, So, oh, cool. Uh, Yeah, I I don't know. That's a a lot of good perspectives on that. You got me thinking now about, you're right about, especially in New Hope, how... I've never thought about that, the ending, where it's just dealing with the one thing, where, whereas now it's like every movie, it seems like you have to have, you know, the three storylines converging. I don't know. Guys, had, Fredo, Dave, have you, have you mm-hmm. noticed that before, those? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and Lucas did that in um, Return. Uh, well, I mean, like as Brian pointed out, in, at the end of Empire, you got two different things. At the end of Return, you got three different things going on. And then Phantom Menace, I think he goes up to four. Um, and, you know, that that was a very deliberate thing by Lucas, um, you could tell. Um, he, he just kept pushing the envelope a little bit further so that the, that end sequence could get bigger and bigger and crazier and more 
And I, was, yeah, I was just going to say, I was actually watching somebody's critique of uh, the last uh, Harry Potter movie, not not in that series, but uh, the last Fantastic Beast movie. And they were saying there was all these characters, but there was no central line. And I think that's that's the difference between making a good movie and a bad movie. You can have all those elements kind of converging, but you have to have one central story, one lead character, or a couple of lead characters that you're going to follow their story through. And otherwise, it can just become a lot of side plots that never quite come together. And I think that's something that I think, thank goodness, whether it was the prequels with Anakin and Obi-Wan or whether it was in the sequels with Rey and Finn, and, uh, you know, they always make sure that you knew this is their story and we're going to follow them. And then we'll also tell you a bit about Kylo Ren or we'll tell you off over here uh, a little something about what Poe's doing. But by and large, this is their story. Because otherwise, you need, you need to give that audience that anchor or that, element that they're going to latch on to because if they don't have somebody that's going to be the character they're going to follow it can be quite easy to get lost in all the spectacle it's like different flavors of ice cream you mm -hmm. know like the a new hope is the is, again it's more direct and it's just i i mean i love it to death um but but then you look at something like phantom menace and to alfredo's point it it, it works because you have that central conflict of the Jedi versus Maul, um, and you're just enraptured by that conflict, um, and it, it just kind of grounds everything else. Um, and and so I think like again, it, it's two different approaches, but I like them both. Um, I like I like A New Hope better, but. <laughs> mm -hmm. So before we move on to our. Uh... Um, you guys get to pick on me about um, the movies that I watched. Um, Brian, I want to see if you remember, because I've told this story before as well. Just you got to make sure that I do you remember the first, and I'm using air quotes on a uh, podcast, but um, Star Wars convention that you took me and Ed Muller to? Yeah, it was a, it was at the, uh, it was at the um, uh, Bennett Martin Public Library in Lincoln, Nebraska. In yes, like sir. 1982, and they had the screenplay for *Revenge of the Jedi* there, if memory serves, before it had come out. Um, and it was—I don't uh, remember that part. I remember seeing the trailer, but anyway, go ahead. We, uh, they, I also saw *Hardware Wars* there for the first time. Yeah, um, and uh, I, it was funny because Fredo and I were. Um, the two of us and Brittany went to a pizza place in Kenner, a suburb of New Orleans, and they had Star Wars trivia night. And one of the questions was, what is the number of the trash compactor in A New Hope? And quickly wrote it down and handed it in. It was 3263827. And the person, the trivia jockey afterwards came up and said, how did you know that? I was like, because I, you know, first of all, I was like, doesn't everybody know that? But anyway, no, I went to, I remember I was like, I went to this Star Wars convention in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I remember they had Star Wars trivia and Ed and I were sitting there and they, that was one of the questions. What's the number of the trash compactor? And, and everybody shouted it out at once. And Ed and I looked at each other like, who are these nerds? Only to, well, you know, 
There's one thing that pisses me off about living in Nebraska and being a Star Wars fan with the benefit of hindsight, which is that in the 1980s, you and I missed out on like a life-changing opportunity. Do you ever hear the story about the guy who bought the Death Star? Uh, maybe. He's driving in Missouri and he's in the Lake of the Ozarks and he goes to a flea market. And in this flea market, there's the Death Star. It's the model like about five feet in diameter that was the model that was used in A New Hope. And basically what happened was somebody from ILM like moved from California to Missouri. They brought the Death Star with them. And there it was at this flea market in the Lake of the Ozarks. And so for 300 bucks, he buys the Death Star. And now he's got it in like his living room in a glass case. By the way, imagine that fight with your wife. You know, honey, that wouldn't I have just been a bought fight. the Death no. Star. And we're going to put it right in the front foyer so Everybody can see it right when they come in the house. You know, it's like a Christmas story and the lamp with the leg. You know, only no, that, wouldn't have a, that wouldn't have been a fight in my household. We would have, she would have been all, all on board. So, oh, but, in uh, my house, that Death Star would have ended up in the attic. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I imagine like you and me and Dad, you know, there, and we're trying to get Dad to loan us the three hundred bucks to buy the Death Star, and then you know he coughs up, and then we tie it to the luggage rack of the Grand Torino station wagon, and we're driving down Interstate seventy with the Death Star on top of this station wagon. Holiday road. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, cool. Uh, so well, well, thank you for you. Know, your Star Wars uh, insights with uh, you said a lot of things um, we haven't talked about. It made me think even more about these movies. Um, so I appreciate that. Uh, but one of the things we talked about when we formed this podcast, because we, we started this podcast when Disney Plus was coming out and it's just something for us to do. Disney Plus would have, you know, good fodder for us to, to talk about. And it's been, you know, Star Wars and Star Wars. Um, but uh, we we kicked around this. We started conversations about, hey, you know this movie, and I'm like, I haven't seen that movie. And then David Fredo would be like, you haven't seen that movie? And he's like, so we're developing this list, and one of them, I mean, I've only seen maybe three of the Marvel movies. I saw Captain Marvel, I saw Black Panther, and I saw um, Guardians of the Galaxy one. I mean, I have I'm, I'm if you ask me if I'm a DC or Marvel guy, I mean, I probably have seen more DC movies, but I don't live in a certain camp. Um, but so decided, well, hey, let's have Aaron start uh, um, watching some Marvel movies and we can we can pick on him about it. You know, and I'm expecting you guys to ask questions and such, but I have to read this conversation. And I'm doing this because I know Dave's going to lead in our uh, podcast with my rendition of um, I was on Twitter the other day, and I pointed out to somebody that you can sing Amazing Grace to the tune of Gilligan's Island. <laughs> and they said, I, ca I can't quite get it into their head. And so they said, maybe Aaron will serenade me the next time we see each other after this quarantine. And uh, so I turned on the video on my camera, picked up my ukulele, and started singing and playing it. So that's going to lead in this podcast. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was once lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. But anyway, before that, I have to say this because I was making fun of Fredo and Dave because because what, what they said they they both agreed that Iron Man should be the first one that I watch. Truth is, 
I am Iron Man. So I was like, you know what? It's kind of funny. And that's why one of the reasons why I invited you on the podcast, Brian, is because you bought me Iron Man for Christmas or my birthday several years ago. By the way, guys, I have to say, Mother is the most thoughtful gift giver that I've ever known. And that's saying something because my wife gave me a lightsaber replica on our first anniversary. But my brother is like, it's not like he takes a list and he gets you what's on your list. He like thinks about who you are and what your interests are. And based on those interests, I think Aaron would like this. And so I'd never had one interest in seeing Iron Man and he sends me Iron Man. So so it's actually kind of sat there in the DVD cabinet. I hadn't seen Iron Man. So when I told him that we we're doing this podcast, he's like, you haven't seen Iron Man? <laughs> so he's he's with you. So you guys are going to be able to quiz me. But I sent this. I sent this was in our Twitter uh, conversation between the three of us. I said, my homework is done. If you all want me to bang out two movies before Thursday, that's more than possible. So I actually have watched Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2. But before we can get to Iron Man 2, here's what's transpired. Fredo. Dave, should it be Iron Man or Thor? Dave, I think Iron Man 2 might be fun just to get an unfiltered view of that one too. Fredo, that could work, especially since Iron Man 2 tends to be the redheaded stepchild of that trilogy. Hush, no, it's super well regarded. Fredo, oh, I mean in comparison to Iron Man 3. Dave, I was just trying to uh, not to color Aaron thinking. Uh, Dave, I suppose that's the question for at this point. Is he interested enough to want to go for broke and do everything, or would he rather skip some stuff? To which Fredo then says, what do you think of this, Dave? And it's a list of all the Marvel movies in some order that I can't believe you took the time to write this out. But anyway, I won't read all those. So then it gets to Dave. Well, that's pretty good, though it might be fun to take on the whole phrase it unfolds. I guess I'll wait on Aaron's feedback, whether, yeah, he keeps wanting my feedback, but they... And I replied then finally said, apparently there's no proper watching order. I don't care, guys. Just let me know. Though I'm going to read this entire conversation between on the next podcast. And then I had the, uh, the uh, gif of um, Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds just going, nerds. <laughs> so <laughs> these two guys were arguing about what is the, I mean, if you talk to two Star Wars fans, it's like going, you're going to, Either it's going to be the machete order or it's going to be, you know, in chronological order. Well, apparently there are some things here. So apparently you got some baggage. So with that, I will just say that I have watched Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2, and now I'll let you guys take it from here. You can ask me questions. You can whatever. Fredo, you want to say something? No, I was just going to say right quick. The whole reason why that is is because similar in nature to uh, the Clone Wars, you know, we recognize it's six seasons, not seven. So telling somebody, okay, start from episode one and binge through them. Well, it might give you a bit of a while for to catch up to it. So we're kind of chopping it up to just be the essential parts. It's 23 movies. So we're like, okay, maybe take a bit of pity on him, kind of help him. But you said you wanted to do it all. So we're going to do it all. Hey, the governor's locked me down. What am I going to do? So <laughs> you got Aaron, time, I'm curious. Sir. Did you like Oh, go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just saying he's got time to do it because uh, that Black Widow movie has been uh, postponed. So In November, yeah. right. So. Yeah. Well, Aaron, I'm curious. Did you like Iron Man 2? Iron Man 2? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it was fine. And I think, that's, I think that's what I'd say with Iron Man 2, that it was fine. 
Uh, Iron Man one, Brittany and I really enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, you know, it was, I will say that, uh, and this is what I don't know. You guys are gonna have to help me. Which came first, Batman or Iron Man? Batman. Okay. Because I mean, it's like, we both looked at each other. It's like, okay, so this is Marvel's Batman. I mean, you've got, you know, I mean, with, yes, there's personality differences, but in essence, you have a really rich guy who is good with technology and has, you know, one has Alfred, the other one, and and Fox, the other one has this, you know, has Jarvis, Jarvis? Jarvis, yeah. Jarvis, you know, so... Yeah. Anyway, I mean, there's there's obvious similarities between. You could mm -hmm. tell that the competition between Marvel and and DC, you know, that okay, they've got their thing, we've got to have our version of that. You could tell well, that. Uh, what's, in, what's interesting is Batman was created in 1928. Iron Man wasn't been coming to the scene until 1963 or 64 thereabouts, and uh, basically it's just Stan Lee decided and Jack Kirby decided to just simply okay combine. Uh, Howard, a Howard Hughes type character with uh, a gallant knight and just kind of put it together and do a 60s version of all that. So, so yeah. But no, I, we really enjoyed Iron Man 1. Um, it was it was a fun movie. Uh, you know, I, I, I am a Robert Downey Jr. fan, um, but Tony Stark reminded me a lot of his character, of, of Robert Downey Jr.'s character in Back to School. You know, I mean, it seemed like that dude grown up, it was the same guy just with a lot more money. You know, it's like he inherited Thornton Mellon's money. Um, but, <laughs> until you watch Civil War. It yeah. was, so it was, um, the thing, if there was any annoying factor, there's two annoying factors that I had. Um, one is throughout the entire movie, Pepper Potts is this strong, really kind of, you know, just a really strong force. And then at the end of the movie, she's this, you know, she's the eighties slasher film girl who's running in high heels from Jason, you know, and just like, ah, you know, it's like she can't help herself uh, type of thing. It just, that drives me crazy. The other thing is, and this kind of remind me, Brian, when we talked, I think one time about, um, uh, one of the, the Superman movies, uh, the new Superman movies, not the old Christopher Reeve one, but it's like anytime, anytime, any of these, uh, any of the movies, whether it's DC or Marvel, we get into the fight scene. That's where I get taken out of a movie because everything else seems legit. And then once you get into the fight scene, it becomes a mixture of Transformers and the Matrix, and the special effects become very obvious. And so the fight scene takes me out, but then it's like, we're sitting there going, man, this is what the conversation, Brian, that we had one time. It's like, how is like everybody's insurance rates not through the roof because of all the damage that these people do to the community at large when they, when they are fighting. Um, oh yeah. This is why you have got to have a secret identity. That way they can't send the bill. But that was the thing that I found <laughs> interesting. What this is like, what the only superhero movie probably where there is no secret identity really. He's at the end. He's like, I am Iron Man, you know. Um, so I find that very interesting. Um, so let me then shift when we got to Iron Man 2. Brian, you asked, did I like Iron Man 2? Yeah, we liked it all right. But again, we were about halfway through and we looked at each other and was like, it's basically the same plot points, just different people. And 
So again, it's kind of like, I always think about when we talked about the Mandalorian episodes and we talk about, you know, the movies, you know, what is the, cause people talk about filler episodes and it's like, I'm always thinking about what is the purpose of this slow moving episode in moving the story forward. And that was not necessarily clear in Iron Man two. Yeah. Okay. Tony Stark has, he, he was all pro weapon and full of himself. And then he, he sees, you know, listens to the better angels. And he's like, I'm not going to, you know, make weapons anymore. I'm a better guy. And then he becomes all full of himself because he's brought peace to the world. So he's swung the pendulum all the way to the other side and has to center himself again. That's pretty much what Iron Man two seemed to be. Maybe that's just two entry. Um, but again, it was fun. It was, it was, you know, Pepper Potts again was running around like the slashers 80, you know, his woman again at the end. Um, John Favreau, I'll never forget, you guys have seen the Family Guy um, Empire Strikes Back parody. And the, the guy who's, you know, that they take in Family Guy, the movie, the video movie, the, the guy who's really, the, he's in the, at the convenience store and he's really into videos. And he's talking, so he's Yoda. And Yoda's talking about Iron Man. And he says, yeah, John Favreau is a really good director. He puts himself in all of his movies, but he's a really good dude. And that was the thing that kind of took me out is that John Favreau had more of, it was like, I'm going to give myself more gags in this movie. And that was clear in Iron Man 2. Um, but, you know, other than that, it was, you know, it was fine, you know. Well, I'll, I'll say two things about Iron Man 1. Um, I really, really enjoy the um, flying sequences um, because I feel like we talked about pacing when it came to uh, A New Hope earlier. And um, I just think like a lot of the times, and, and this kind of goes to your point, Aaron, with the special effects scenes and the battle scenes, and it doesn't feel real or weighty. Um I love the flying sequences because it's like, let's take a moment to just kind of recreate what this would feel like for a real person. Um, the awe that it would inspire in a person to actually be able to just fly around in a metal suit. Um, I, I, I just adore that sequence because um, when he's building his suit, obviously is really cool. But then when he's finally taking it out for a test flight, it's, it's, it's a lesser movie wouldn't have given us that scene and wouldn't have given us the time for it. I will say this. I think it's very interesting. And it's actually to the point of, uh, you know, um, oh, crap, Fury's uh, comment at the, in the, at the end of Iron Man 2 uh, when Nick Fury said, well, going through, um, well, Black Widow's uh, um personality you know file on tony stark is he's narcissistic and everything like that I, we were t brit and i were talking about at the end of iron man 2 i said you know what imagine if you went to a superman movie and for about three quarters of that movie you saw nothing of but clark kent or if you went to a batman movie and for three quarters of that movie you saw nothing but you know bruce wayne you'd probably be a little ticked off but well, for that some was, reason, go ahead, Brian. That was Superman the movie. I mean, you spend a whole hour in Krypton and in Kansas and with Clark Kent and Metropolis until 
you see anybody in a blue suit except for like 30 seconds in the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, and the same thing happened with the, the Dark Knight Rises where the first hour and change is Bruce, uh, Bruce Wayne all being decrepit, uh, hideaway recluse until he puts on the bad suit about an hour or so in. Yeah, but, but yeah. you had but you had two movies before that of a heck of a lot of Batman. So you can kind of you can kind of do a little bit of that, you know. But uh, but that was I just but I thought it was very interesting. I mean, obviously, the story is more about Tony Stark than it is about Iron Man. Um, but he, yeah, go ahead. Let me ask you, no, let me ask you this uh, then, Aaron, because it's an interesting point you make because that was what everybody recognized back when Iron Man came out in two thousand eight. How much, how well, or how much did you enjoy Iron Man and Iron Man Two, just hanging around with Tony Stark, with that character? Well, see, that's the thing: is that if you end up having it be three quarters of the movie Iron Man, then it becomes, like I said, the Transformers movie, where you're just going to be fighting everybody all all the time, and it's just there's you're going to lose the story. So, and I think that is obviously with any of these superhero movies, is that the more interesting thing is the person not not the costume you know it's it's what you know it's that you know it's that personal development what they're what they're actually trying to uh, maybe compensate for is not the right word but you know you know it's why is this why why are they the way they are and why is how does the the superhero part of it you know contrast to that so um uh, I will say Iron Man 2 was just, I mean, when he was drunk at his party, that was just like, I didn't, that was dumb, you know? And, uh, but anyway, so I, I didn't well, dislike it, uh, but Iron Man 1 better than Iron Man 2, I will say that. Marvel like Sam, had, go ahead. I like Sam Rockwell in Iron Man 2. Yes. Was, oh, yeah. Dancing to pick up the pieces at the Spark, at the Stark Expo. Yep, that was, no, that's awesome. And actually, Sam Rockwell always seemed like a perfect foil for Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man 2 in terms of personality. Because you almost get the sense that he's trying to be Tony Stark, but just doesn't quite get it. You know, you know where it's its interactions with uh, uh, Rhodey when they're you know when he's displaying all the iron, all the hardware for the war machine suit. Whether it's when he's doing his presentations, he's really trying to come off and give off this cool guy vibe and it's just it doesn't never seem to, to be working for him i will yeah. say this is that they should have either they should have either had mickey rourke or um sam rockwell sam rockwell they should have had either one of those two as the antagonist not try to not try to tag team it because both were then sold short they're competing for bad guy screen time mm-hmm. um you know really Throughout most of the movie, I was just like, okay, I get why Mickey Rourke's character is here, but I don't get why he's here because he's not really being utilized, you know, um, except he wants his bird. So, um. <laughs> well, a really common theme in the Iron Man series is um, this idea of regret. Um, and we've talked about that uh, some when we've talked about um, the sequel trilogy of Star Wars um, and. Um, just this idea of the sins of the father um, and having to deal with not only what your ancestors have left you, but what your own mistakes have wrought. 
Um, and that's a really common theme in comic books in general. Um, but in the Iron Man movies, especially, it's it's a it's a really major theme. Um, so get used to it because uh, in Iron Man three, you're going to see that that theme come up again. I think that's a good point about regret, and I think if you'd approached the most recent Star Wars trilogies different. Uh, you could have done the same thing with Luke. You could have given him a much clearer motivation, uh, you know, where, you know, he has sort of a vague sense that he didn't train uh, Kylo Ren right. And, you know, as a result, you know, he turned. But you could have made that sharper still, you know, if basically, you know, um, you know, he it was the family relationship that, you know, caused, you know, him to go south. And I could see Luke in that situation saying, I don't want there to be any more Skywalkers. I don't want to train any more Jedi ever, you know, because nothing but bad is going to come from this. I think that's there in the trilogy, but I think you could have made it sharper still. So yeah, the, well, the other, yeah one, one other point about Iron Man, and I wanted you to be aware that um, they went into that shooting of that movie without a working script. <laughs> so, yeah. And they started this whole empire that they've got at this point by just committing Plan, to this. Playing around. <laughs> yeah, and committing to a C-list character because um, Iron Man was never one of their A-listers. Um, and just, yeah, and just, we don't know what we're doing. We're just going to make a movie and we're going to see what happens. Because what happened is, uh, unfortunately for Marvel, that... Uh, turn of the millennium that gotten into close to bankruptcy they were far not far away from going under completely so through the ages they had sold the, the movie rights to everybody from spider-man to the x-men to the incredible hulk to the fantastic four so any major character everybody kind of sort of knew they didn't control so they're like okay let's make an iron man movie sure let's go do it and they were having to make it up as they went along i mean like, I don't even think that the famous post-credit Marvel scene that everybody knows happens now, that was that took people by surprise in 2008. Like, the first time people was like, you know, when Nick you know, when, uh, Nick Fury comes onto the screen and mentions the idea of an Avenger initiative, it, it, nothing had ever happened like that before, and everybody just, minds just blew. So, you know, here's, it's just, this is a tangent to this whole Iron Man discussion. And it's what Britt and I have talked about where even though I have not seen a lot of, I've, I've seen three, now I've seen five, but you know, before I'd only seen three Marvel movies, never really read Marvel comic books. Um, but still when Scarlett Johansson comes on screen, it's like, Oh yeah, Black Widow, you know, and I know who Nick Fury is. I know I, these names still ring true. It's like, I still don't understand like people who go through society without Brian, I was telling this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that Brittany was, was they're talking about different archetypes and things like that. And just, I, I can't remember, she had a picture of Chewbacca on a slide and the ki all the kids went, Oh, it's Bigfoot. <laughs> and it's like, how do you not, or, you know, people who don't know the line, you know, even if it's the wrong line, Luke, I am your father, you know, people who don't know the, even though you might not like Star Wars, you might not like Marvel, but you still have a social awareness of these names. Like, okay, that's a comic book thing. Or, okay, that's, you know, so, you know, I could, you know, it was, 
uh, I can still make those uh, those connections. But yeah, so are you, are you guys suggesting then Iron Man three is next? Is that what's on the list? Uh, no, no, oh, no, no. Next has to be Thor. Thor, that's right. Thor and then Captain America: The First Avenger. I Iron agree Man. with that. Yeah, Iron Man two at the the uh, post credits was the Thor hammer. So. Because what happens, is, and this is one of the interesting things that Marvel does that everybody's trying to copy in the last decade, has been they they use their individual character movies to build the characters and their individual personalities, let, get you to know them. And then all these movies will converge in an Avengers movie. So you get a bit of an introduction to all the characters in the Avengers movie, but you don't get into the depth of those characters at that point. It kind of... It's a it's a neat trick that allows you to go. Okay, if you didn't, if you somehow miss the Thor movie, well, you're gonna get an introduction of who Thor is in Avengers. But if you saw the Thor movie, you get a bigger understanding of who he is and where he's coming from. So you've seen the South Park episode where they're developing their whole um, superhero gang and they're mm -hmm. plotting out. Okay, you'll have your Netflix series at this point. Then we'll have a big. Yeah, they just rip on Marvel on that one. That was, it was yeah. hilarious. Anyway, I mean, uh, it's it's become the thing. It became the thing that everybody in Hollywood wanted to do, and it shows but, how hard it is. But it also shows what that collaboration and having one person kind of in charge and making hurting hurting the cats because it can be done. That's what Star Wars was missing. You know, was this? You know, again, the in the sequel trilogy is just that coordination of. Because you can have all these different stories and they can fit together just fine as long yeah. as you have one person, you know, like I said, just playing Ranger on it. So okay. uh, I'd be interested to see how the next two movies go for you because um, the Thor or the Iron Man movies were very grounded in reality. They kind of had more of a Batman kind of feel to them in that sense, the Christopher Nolan Batman. Uh, so, and they came out about the same time. And so that makes yeah. sense. That's why part of the same reason, year. yeah, that's part of the reason they went the route that they did, but, um, I'll be interested to see what, how Thor in particular, uh, you feel about that one because it's, it's a drastic departure and it's a major risk that they had to take to try to make it work and fit hey. with everything else. So I, I survived Aquaman and I enjoyed Aquaman. So, you know, I'm sure Thor will be. We'll be okay. <laughs> I will say too, though, that Thor is the character in the MCU who develops the most over the course of everything. He's uh, really interesting. And one other thing I would add to that is pay attention, uh, or pay attention to the casting, because I think that's been the number one most successful thing that Marvel has done. They've found every time it seems. They get the right actor for the role. They nail it every time. You're right. That's, I mean, that's a really good point. Oh, yeah. And they get good actors. I mean, you look, for example, at, you know, Jeff Bridges in Iron Man, or you look mm -hmm. at Sam Rockwell in Iron Man 2. I mean, you know, or, or Samuel L. Jackson and all of them. I mean, you know, they get people who are really, really, really good. So before we wrap this up, Brian, I haven't told you. I don't think I've told you this story. Because you just mentioned, just what you said just reminded me of it. Um, so the Fredo and Dave and I, we have a friend, uh, Alan. And um, Alan got a text message. Uh, this is 
back in January, got a message from this uh, lady who said, hey, do you want to um, join my mom and me for lunch at Commander's Palace on February 18th? And Commander's Palace is big, schwanky. You know, have either of you been to Commander's Palace before? Yes. I, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you drop a dime there. Um, it's, but anyway, um, and the Alan service like, is impeccable. And the valet is less. Yeah, the valet <laughs> told me to f off. But anyway, um, the uh, so Alan lives uh, in Baton Rouge, and he was like, "Man, I've always wanted to go to Commander's Palace." He said, "But I'd have to, you know, that's I'd have to take, you know, day off, you know, and to make it down there, blah blah blah." He said, let me get back to you. And the next morning, like at 7.30, the lady texts back and says, well, it's a shame that you can't come to Commander's Palace with us because Samuel L. Jackson's going to be joining us. He's a friend of my mom's. And Alan's like, way to bury the lead. I mean, don't you think he would say, hey, I mean, he's like, well, I'll take a day of vacation for that. Seat's already been filled. So Alan could have had had a lunch at Commander's Palace with Samuel L. Jackson. And um, meanwhile, I was thinking, well, maybe I should stand outside Commander's Palace with my Mace Wind figure and have him sign it, you know, because I'd have Samuel L. Jackson sign that bad MF-er, you know, on a, on a Mace Windu figure. So but, Gumbo yeah. may taste like pumpkin pie, but I ain't eating it. <laughs> there you go. And with, I think that's the perfect ending to this podcast for this week. So I want to thank my brother for, for joining us. Um, and uh, that was, it was awesome. Thanks for joining. I hope you had fun. Um, and uh, yeah, for everybody else, we'll uh, see you next week. Uh, we'll obviously be talking about Thor and then um, um, whatever else, other Star Wars things we got going on. So with that, we'll say who dat? Who dat? Who dat? And uh Everybody take her easy. My monkey.